Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Risk and Reward, the golf podcast from Winning Edge Investments that aims to keep you on the right side of the betting ledger. My name's Rod Murray and despite the new year being barely a day old, we're already back into it with the golf season. The US Tour kicking things off in two days' time with the Tournament of Champions in Hawaii. This event is reserved for winners only from the previous year's schedule, though not everybody makes the effort to turn up. We'll talk about that, plus changes to the course and no doubt all sorts of other golf-related stuff as we go on today. When I say we, I mean, of course, my regular co-host here at Risk and Reward, a man who's got more than four decades on his resume as a golf professional, and even longer than that in the gambling world. It's a big 2020 hello to John Evans. John, not only great to be chatting with you, but to be doing so in person here at the Talk and Golf slash Sydney Podcast Studios headquarters in Sydney. Uh, thank you very much, Rod, and uh, uh, looking forward to a very, very wealthy and healthy 2020. And it's nice that um, for the first time in my life, I'm actually number one. This is the first podcast of 2020. <laughs> And we're ahead of the rest of the world, so it's a good chance to be the first golf podcast, or first podcast talking about golf. I hadn't thought about it that way, Jay, and I too am now particularly pleased to be a part of that. Before we get to today's episode, a quick reminder of the exclusive deal for podcast listeners from the nice people at Winning Edge Investments. Sign up for the weekly Winning Edge newsletter produced by my erstwhile co-host, and because you heard about it here, you'll get a 25% discount for also putting up with us each week. Go to the Winning, Inve- Winning Edge Investments homepage, seek out the golf newsletter, and when you sign up, use promo code GOLF25. The easiest way to do that, of course, is to use the link in the show notes below, which will take you straight to the appropriate page. The added bonus of a Winning Edge subscriber is the profit guarantee. This isn't only for podcast listeners, but it is still a ridiculously good deal. Sign up for a three or 12-month subscription, and if the weekly staking plan doesn't return a profit at the end of that time, you get your next three or 12 months for free. This is ridiculous, Jay. I know I've said it before, but I still can't believe how this works. Puts a bit of pressure on you and the other tips. How many, how many newsletters in the Winning Edge stable, aside from just the goal? Well, no, no, there's... Um there's at least eight or nine other uh, uh, tipsters, and um, they—I'm not sure all of them have got a profit guarantee, but I think most of them have. Certainly, the ones who win have. Um, but confident. Well, it's—it's—I'm um, not that sure you were right about one of those points you made either, as a, which I can't quite recall now. But that's all right. So we won't go into that. But uh, just to check, check, you know, chip you. But um, no, we look occasionally. It's the first day of 2020. I've already made my first mistake. So it's only a minor one. It was a very, it was a very minor, almost an ex- expression mistake. But anyway, the thing is that we, Winning Edge Investments, is a company named Winning Edge Investments, as distinct from Winning Edge Gambling, and um, the boss is uh, uh, very uh, thorough in his. Uh, in all of his preparations, does an unbelievable amount of work himself, and and I know that uh, other tipsters are uh, hard at work every day of the year, trying to find value for the subscribers. Uh, they all seem to do it. Um, one guy just the other day had one bet at under uh, to one that, that got beaten a lip in second, and he told you to tip it each way. So it's a it's a very professional service. And to be able to give a profit guarantee, I think, is a, a, a pretty um, strong recommendation well, for the product. Testament to the confidence in their own product, isn't it? Which is, uh, if you're going to buy something, you'd always like to see. Uh, enough about that. About the only thing you're not really getting there, Jay, is a set of state models. Well, 
Um, do you need? Do you need? Do you need to throw a set in? Do you need one? No, I don't. I'm not a, not a steak eater, as you know. Uh, that brings the price, for those who are interested, the 25% discount. Brings the price down, JE. I know we go through this every time. Normally 150 a month to get your hard work and uh, thoughts each week in the newsletter. But what does that bring it down to, 25% off? It brings it down to exactly $112.50, Rod. think about it. It's a coffee, coffee and a bun in some parts of Sydney. Well, it's a coffee and a bun... Um, when you think that you do have to put the hundred and twelve dollars fifty into the tin, but but you uh, you are guaranteed to take out more than your hundred and twelve fifty. Can't sell the deal anymore and that don't need to. Let's get to the golf. PGA Tour, the only show in town this week. This Century Tournament of Champions is a bit of an odd one. It's designed to be a reward for those who've had a win during the previous calendar year because, of course, they haven't been rewarded enough, JE, by all winning at least $1.3 million or whatever the, the minimum purse on the tour is. But that's the way golf works. The more successful you are, the more success you get access to. $62,000, the worst check you can pick up this week in a field of just 35. Professional golf's in a pretty healthy place in the US, you'd have to say. Well, Century have uh, apparently re-signed for another 10 years and uh, clearly... Just this week, I think, yeah. So, so clearly they're putting up the money and, and uh, one would say that if they're putting up the money, the, these guys would be foolish not to go and play, which, of course, brings us to a, a point you were talking about earlier. Well, those who can afford to not turn up. So I was, we were discussing before we came on air that part of the reason that golf, professional golf in places like Australia and New Zealand and South Africa and various European tour events struggle somewhat to attract the bigger names is because they play in America where the money is so huge. So here's a list of those who could afford not to turn up this week. So well off are they? Brooks Kepka, not in the field, even though he's entitled to, has been coming back from injury, though, uh, so that may have something to do with it. Phil Mickelson is not playing. Shane Lowry, the Open champion, has elected not to play. Justin Rose, US Open winner from way back in 2013, has elected not to play. And Rory McIlroy, who probably makes the case best out of all those, who picked up $15 million in October when he won the Tour Championship and the FedEx Cup. Uh, And that tells you... so. I take your, your point, but I wonder what the responsibility might be of the PGA Tour, which is clearly just awash with money. 40-plus events uh, of, well, I think the lowest purse on the PGA Tour is one of the opposite field events at about $3 million. Um, Most weeks, they're up around the $6 million mark for the total purse, and winners' checks are well into the one-point millions. Um, fantastic for them. Do they have a responsibility to the rest of us? What could we possibly offer Kepka, Mickelson, Lowry, Rose, or McElroy, or Woods? To come down and play in Australia, that they don't—they can turn their back on sixty-two thousand guaranteed for shooting 80, 80, 80, 80 if they wanted to in in Hawaii. Well, the thing, um, you know, why where the, the amalgamation of the world tours, uh, which took place, I think, when I was on the board of the PGA Tour. Um, of, I was PGA Tour of Australasia. Well, I was invited to join it. No. Anyway, why would the other tours, um, the European, the Australasian, the Asian, the Chinese, the Korean, and all the other tours, why would they not be saying to the US tour, if there is any value in the amalgamation, there's either value in the amalgamation, which means that the US tour should listen to those other tours, or there isn't any value in the amalgamation, And therefore, those tours would be far better to combine to be able to take on the US tour. 
it's an interesting conundrum, isn't it? Because, of course, all of our Australian golfers, and we love to see it, their ultimate goal is to play the US, the Adam Scotts and the Jason Days, the Mark Leishman, Cameron Smith. Cameron Percy is back on that tour this year, young Cameron Davis. You want those guys to have somewhere to aspire to play that is the premier circuit in the world. But even for them, probably not so much Scott and Day, for a player like Cameron Davis who's made the PGA Tour, it's awkward for him to get back and play here in Australia at the end of the year because he needs to focus on making sure he makes enough money and points on the PGA Tour to keep his card for the following year. So it's a bit like dropping a stone in a pond, isn't it? The success of the PGA Tour, the concentric circles just keep going out of the pressure that that puts on the rest of the world's tours. I'm not sure there is an answer. I don't think the PGA Tour, to be honest, really cares. And in many ways, I understand that. If we were lucky enough to be in that situation, the Australian Tour, I don't think we'd probably care so much. But I do feel like it's something that golf needs to think about for the longer term, professional golf, for the ongoing health of the game. There's no question that a good part of the success of the PGA Tour is the international flavour of the fields each week. Well, the point you made there is quite interesting. Um, When I was the... New Zealand director of the PGA Tour. Two years prior, there'd been 11 events in New Zealand and six in Australia. And in that particular year, there were more events in Australia than New Zealand. And the Australian uh, tour, which was... Obviously, there were six Australian directors and I was the only Kiwi director. There was quite a strong lead from the chairman that... New Zealand would be left out and in actual fact it would be the Australian tour and it was only representations and some assistance from Jack Newton and Tom Linsky that allowed it to become the Australasian PGA Tour. So it, your point is probably fair that if we were, if Australia and New Zealand were the biggest tour, would we consider the PGA Tour? And the, probably the, the answer is as you've said. So we can hardly... Uh, then take the position that the PGA Tour ought to be um, acting as if we're the little brother. But having said that, um, I think the PGA Tour, because of its preeminence, has to consider the world, the game of golf worldwide. And that segues to an issue that I know is um, of importance to you and me, and that is that we need to control the golf ball and the implements of the game to ensure that our fantastic golf courses like Royal Melbourne and Kingston Heath and others throughout Australia and New Zealand are not made redundant. And so I think the PGA Tour, it can perhaps avoid its moral uh, rights or obligations, but it needs to be held to count by someone. Who is that? And, and, and I think, go back to that amalgamation of the tours, are our representatives on those tours today sycophants or are they people who are prepared to stand up and say to the US tour, we need to sort this out and it needs to be a consensus, not just the act of a dictator? So ultimately what they really need to do, though, J.A., leaving aside any politics this way or the other, is to make the business case to the PGA tour that it's in the interests of the PGA tour to promote and foster golf outside of the US. I think that can be done, but I think that's the only way, as would be the case if it was reversed and we in Australia had all the power in world golf, you would need to make a business case for why it's good for the PGA Tour in their longer-term interests 
to take more of an active interest in golf outside the borders of the US. And I think that's probably what we don't do. We do a lot of complaining about uh, the fallout from the PGA Tour being so successful, and we have done for quite some time. But the reality is, as your friend and mine, Mike Clayton, famously once said, I don't think he made up the line, but it was the first time I heard it, in a two-horse race, always back self-interest. At least you know it's trying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's some truth to that. And so they're, they're big issues, but they're big issues for not just the PGA Tour, but for golf. And perhaps it's time we stopped hand-wringing about how, what, what they should be doing and presenting them with a feasible case as to why it makes sense for them to invest in golf in places like South Africa and Australia. I'm not too sure that, um, that I, I'd be most interested to hear any suggestions and ideas that you have around that subject. Um, I'm not that sure this is the right place to <laughs> to work our way through them, or, or whether or not we've got the time, or the or the or the subscribers have got the patience to listen to well, our us, discussion. Power to come up with something that's even. Well, I think that's a fair point, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but I think um, I think it is. I am interested to have that discussion with you on a an off the mic situation, and perhaps we could refine it to the stage where we could take that to the PGA of Australia. Really gone down a rabbit hole there. We must pull it back. Let's talk about self-interest. The people tuned in not to listen to us bang on about the problems of world golf and the potential cures, but who they should back this week uh, if they're looking to make a profit. Now, 35-player field. We know they're all good players because they're all winners on the PGA Tour. There is no harder place to win a golf tournament, so we know who's not there, but we, among those who are there, who should people be looking to to bet on? Is it hard? I, I know I've asked you this question before, but... I, Surely it must be harder to find value in a field like this than a full field event, which is the goal each week, as we know. We don't expect to tip the winner every week, but value bets in a short field like this of all good pedigree, proven good pedigree players must be difficult, no doubt. No? Well, it's a th- if you think of it, there's only 33 starters. You think there's 35, but on my list there's 33, so there must have been somebody else drop out. But... 33 starters, there's been, there are horse races, including the Grand National at Aintree, where they have 33 starters, and the bookies are able to frame a market. And the question is, have they framed the correct market? Are there any overs? And if there are overs, are they sufficiently over for me to tip them to my subscribers, remembering that I might have to give them three months or 12 months free? <laughs> so I'm, I'm always, uh, yeah, my naked <laughs> self-interest is... Um, is on display every week, and um, I've found a couple here, and I'll start with the first one. Martin Trainer is a thousand to one on Betfair, and seven hundred and fifty dollars to one each way on Bet three six five, and I've tipped him on Bet three six five because with thirty three starters, he's only got to finish in the top four for you to make a substantial return of one hundred and eighty seven dollars fifty. To one on the place. Now that was a calculation I did make quickly in my head there. Well one quarter of seven fifty. I don't it, know whether you're right or wrong. I'm, I'm absolutely I'm right. I'm, I'm dead right. I'm dead number. right. So the old bookies clerk jumped in there. Hundred and eighty seven dollars fifty to one the place for your ten dollars, which is eighteen hundred and seventy five dollars if he runs in the first four. So I thought now Martin, to be fair, after his win, hasn't uh hasn't turned up on the podium too often, but He's in this field because he won a tournament in the last year. And as we've often discussed, anybody who's on the US tour and kept his card, and we can think about 
numerous great players who haven't uh, kept their card this particular year, including a number of uh, former major winners. So Martin Trainer 750 each one. I've recommended that on Bet365, but if you're just a win punter, take the thousands on Betfair. So he's the first guy. The second guy's interesting, Rod. I think you'll think this is only one player in this field who won at his last start on the US Tour, and that's Tyler Duncan. And Tyler Duncan uh, is was at $290 when I sent the tips out. Unfortunately for uh, uh, subscribers, Steve got the 290 Podcast Pete boys only get 150 because they've put plenty on him, and not only mine and my subscribers, but I suspect others saw the value as well. The reason being that Tyler Duncan's Tita Green record was phenomenal, not only in the tournament he won, but during the season. He's a very, very good striker. And under a, quite a fair bit of back nine pressure, he held up to win the last event. So last start winner, 290, uh, Tyler Duncan. Um, unfortunately, the each way price was about 125, so we stayed out of that. But the win price of 290, Tyler Duncan. So that's, they're my two roughies. Obviously, with only 33 starters, I could hardly name 10 or 12. or There wouldn't have been a great deal of value in that. But I did find a couple who I thought were over the odds. Uh, Ricky Fowler stood out to me. His last start on the US Tour, he finished ninth. He didn't play because he got married in August, but he turned up at the President's Cup, and I thought he played okay. He played okay in the Hero Challenge, which was his warm-up, and I watched him... At, uh, play at Royal Melbourne and I thought he played quite well for a guy who'd only been back a week his last he's only played in this event three times in the last six years his performance is a sixth fifth and fourth so you'd have to say that he had not have any difficulty with the golf course um, so Ricky at $17.50 I thought was the best value of the top eight players and I put another one in who I think is the best of the young guys took him. He was the, he was the last one to win, but I think he's the best of them. Colin Morikawa, phenomenally consistent player, sixth, fifth in his last PGA Tour event, has won obviously to get into this event, and he was at twenty nine dollars on Betfair. So they're my four tips, Rod. Um, a little bit more on Fowler and Morikawa than uh, we would normally bet. Um, Half a unit on Fowler and four-tenths of a unit on Morikawa. Um, so that's my reasoning. I didn't see a great deal of value in any of the others. In fact, I didn't see any value at all. Um, to be fair, Dustin Johnson's got a record here that I think's worth reading out. He's he's qualified in every year, but he hasn't played every year. But he's 16, 9, 1, 6, 10, 6, 1, 4, isn't a bad record of consistency. It uh, certainly sets up well for him. There's been some changes to this golf course, the Kapalua uh, golf course on, well, Kapalua, I think it is. I think it's called the Kapalua. Oh, God, now I don't even know. I think it's the Kapalua golf course. Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw design. Unusual for PGA Tour to, to play a course like this. Big, wide fairways, lots of elevation change. They've made the course more difficult this year than it was last. It's going to be playing firm and fast and windy. Does that change things? I like your pick of Fowler, and Johnson too, actually, under those circumstances. 
but the wind tends to bring out the really good ball strikes. There's a lot of places to hit the ball off the tee here, but not all of them give you good angles. If you've got control of your golf ball, you'll have a real advantage this week, I think, particularly if the ground is running as firm as they're predicting. Yeah, well, ball striking is why I chose Duncan. I, I was enormously impressed with his ball striking when he won. He'll be pretty confident. And I, and I also think young players are more likely to work hard over Christmas than perhaps those with a family of three or five, five kids who all want to go to the beach. So that's why I've chosen Duncan, Trainer and Morikawa. And to a lesser extent, Ricky hasn't got any kids yet that we know of. So, so those guys are probably more likely to have put the time in over Christmas, um, go and have a mince pie and then head down to the practice fairway. Um, the course, well, I'm not aware of the changes and I, I, I've never been there, so I can't really comment on whether it's more difficult or less. But I haven't actually thought that um, in the past that Dustin Johnson was a great win player. I think Ricky, Ricky Fowler's a very good win player, but I haven't rated Dustin as a great win player. I think the wind um, has upset him a few times when he's had a big lead. So whether or not that's going to help him, but he wasn't one of my tips for that very reason. For that very reason, um, despite his phenomenal record, which I've explained. But you've got to say that, Rod, for a tour championship promoted by the PGA Tour to have six of the best ten players in the world in reality, forget about their world ranking, six of the best ten players in the world not playing, it's... It's got to be some kind of a backhander for the tour, I would have thought. Well, it's, the, it's that victim of your own success idea, isn't it? There is so much golf now played every year. Players must take a break somewhere. I, I think your point probably goes more to the guys with families and those sorts of things where it, it's not the money that motivates them. None of those six who aren't there are motivated in any way by money anymore because they've got so much of it that it's just not an issue. It's not part of the thinking. And if their families say to them, we don't want you flying off to Hawaii two days after Christmas to be there in time for the tournament to get ready for starting on January the 2nd, and these guys are going to have New Year's Eve on the island in Hawaii, it's, you and I think that's a fantastic thing. But if you play professional golf for a living, you spend enough time in planes and hotels and resorts. And I can understand why it might lose some appeal uh, if the money was nothing to do with it. I, I have to go to work to make money because I need that money. If I didn't need to make that money, how often would I go to work? Probably a bit less. <laughs> a lot of people go to work um, because they actually like work. Um, and I think a lot of professional golfers are like that. You know, they, I mean, Clayton's a great example. He goes to work every day, quite often unpaid, um, because they love it. But I think the tour, probably when they set this up, saw this as their um, tournament of tournaments. And all of a sudden, they realised that format hasn't worked. So they've gone to the FedEx Cup as one um, new iteration. And they've also gone to the Players' Championship as now their, their, the flagship of what they're trying to achieve, which is to get a major out of the PGA Tour. Um and I think they're probably more likely to get one out of the Players' Championship than they ever would be out of the Century World yeah, Champion, Champions There's a lot mixed up event. Partly to do with 
venue and other things. This tournament is the one that was slated a couple of years ago. The PGA Tour announced early last year. We haven't seen much of the effect of it, but announced early last year a much closer relationship with the LPGA. There was a lot of talk that they might combine this event with the with a tournament of champions from the LPGA and play it all in Hawaii. Two separate events, but on the same course, a little bit like the Vic Open that we see here down at 13th Beach. And this event would set itself up well for that. What do you think about that? I think it, I think it works in terms of field size. Uh, I certainly think that that would have some scope. I don't think it would encourage any more of the top male players to turn up. Well, I think that's a very good idea. I mean, uh, to me, this event has lost its mana. Yeah. And um, I think there's no doubt in most golf followers' minds that the LPGA is the comer. Um, that uh, there's, uh, they've got a great ethos, um, they've got a great product. Uh, I enjoy watching the girls. Um, they're extremely competitive. They're very, very talented. And and when the hammer goes down, a lot of those girls, as um, the Swedes showed in the Solheim Cup, they've got the go to, to get up and finish the job off. So... It, it's exciting golf watching the ladies. I like I like watching it. Now you bring the ladies to this event, which is faltering, and it, it might be the Philip that it needs to make it a major a major event. Indeed. We've, we've spoken about it before, but one of the the issues working against professional golf as a product is the week in week out diet of seventy two hole stroke play. Now I, I don't think anybody's campaigning to change every week to a different format, but certainly a few times a year, I think we need to see something different to that if it's to maintain interest. Well, if you have a look at the cricket, I mean, um, there were 70,000 went to the Boxing Day test, but the big bash games, they're nearly full all the time. They've found a format that people want to go and see and watch. Golf has to find that format um, away from the US particularly. They've got to find that format where people want to go and watch seems to me the Victorian Open's found that formula. It hasn't quite worked in other places yet. But that, that Century Tournament of Champions, that's an ideal place to, to run that kind of event. Absolutely. And there's plenty of, plenty of place on the golf course. There's only going to be a maximum of 80 players. So they've got, uh, it is, they've got plenty of... They can have big intervals between tee times, which means that they're not going to be compromised between the ladies' tees and the men's tees and the ladies' driving distances and the men's driving distances, it's an ideal place to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I'd certainly watch it. I think a lot of people would be interested to see it should they go ahead with it. I don't think there's any indication at this stage that they will, J.E., but we'll keep campaigning here on the Risk and Reward podcast and see whether we might be able to get it across the line at some point in the next decade. It'll be part of our business plan that we put to them. Do you think we should talk to Winning Edge Investments about being the sponsor of the ladies' event? <laughs> You could do a lot worse on a serious note than sponsoring a professional women's golf event. The return on investment in raw numbers might not be as large. The investment's not as large. But without doubt, value for money at every level of the women's game that I've been to, the professional events from pro-ams right up to the Australian Women's Open, value for money, I think, it presents a much better proposition for the most part than men's golf. Winning Edge Investments were the sponsors of the 10th hole at the uh, New Zealand Legends Masters and got quite a lot of television exposure because I was directing the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Um, but that's their only foray into tournament uh, uh, promotion and sponsorship at the present. But oh, we can talk to them about it, right? I mean, we're getting more, inf- more and more influence with the first podcast of 2020. <laughs> the, I'm thinking about it. The, the, isn't the key to golf sponsorship, I think, going forward, creativity? The, the simple notion of putting up X amount of dollars and a tournament being named sort of after your company. I'm not sure how much more mileage that's got left in a social media-dominated world. Um, television, no doubt, still plays a big part. And that model probably still works quite well for most PGA Tour events and most of our the Australian Open and the Australian PGA, the two biggest events we have, the New Zealand Open and, uh, and various events. But I wonder whether... And there's room for creative thinking in the women's game, probably more so than the men's. There's a hunger there. There's less money in the game. They're more open to left-field suggestions. It would be about how you creatively leverage that oh, I can't believe I'm using these words leverage that sponsorship well there's, there's I think some, there would be opportunities there if you if you had a, a good think about it there's there's an interesting um, reason I think why major companies in America uh, sponsor these golf tournaments and that is because of the tax arrangements that can be met by having a charitable beneficiary um, and it's, it's always astounded me that the PGA and, and the AGU, as it was, I'm not sure, Australian Golf, I guess it is, Golf Australia, why they haven't lobbied the Australian and New Zealand governments and said, look, um, you've canned um, cigarette smoke, uh, cigarette companies as sponsors and you you want to can liquor companies as sponsors. What about doing something for sports in both countries and give tax advantages to where these provide great charitable beneficiaries and right now we've got an unbelievable need for assistance to families throughout Australia because of the bushfires. So why wouldn't the Australian government say well we can make a direct contribution of 20 or 30 million to um to the resolving some of these problems for, for the people who've suffered. But if they were clever and uh, gave tax advantages to the major companies for having um, sponsorship where there was a um, charitable beneficiary where they gained tax advantages, then it probably would lead to far, far greater company involvement here in Australia and New Zealand. It might solve a lot of problems for professional game, both men and women. Interesting. Interesting stuff. We didn't talk a lot about betting today, Jay, but I think we've solved some of the game's biggest problems, which is fantastic news on the first day of the new year. So we'll probably wrap it up and leave it there. Been great to have you in. Always good to have your company. Lovely to, well, it's not lovely to be looking at you, but it's nice that you're here in person. Always makes for a better dynamic. Thanks for uh, coming along. Looking forward to uh, getting together again next week. Next week I'll bring a mask. (laughs) Episode 23, Run and One. We'll see you next week here on the Risk and Reward Podcast.